Marriage is what brings us together today. <laughs> the dream within a dream. If you don't know what that is, you have homework to do tonight. <laughs> marriage. Marriage is what brings two people together. Two people who are different. A man and a woman. God unites together as one flesh. Marriage also brings families together. Marriage brings people corrupted by sin and unites them together as one. But marriage isn't what brings us here together today. What brings us together today is the gospel of Jesus. Jesus brings us, his church, together. We have been united to Christ through his sacrificial blood. We have been forgiven. We have been brought near through peace that he provides. Yes, Ephesians 25, 22 through 33 is about marriage. But it's primarily about Jesus and his gospel. He brings us together. Joining us into the new creation temple through faith. We are united together through our love for Jesus. We are united together in our hope in Jesus. We are united together in our submission to Jesus. For he is our God and he is our king. After Paul has been teaching the church about this gospel, he now turns to the family and says, this is your calling as a family. If you want to be faithful, if you want to be spirit-filled, if you want to apply the gospel to every area of your life, wives, submit to your husband. And husbands, love your wives. Because the gospel should affect every square inch of our life. We are to submit to Jesus in every area of our life. We are to love Jesus in every area of our life. And you've heard me use this illustration before. But if you think of our faith as a home, when we have faith in Jesus, we don't just invite Jesus into our living room and say, help yourself to whatever's in the fridge. No, Jesus comes in and he walks into our bedroom and he gets under our sheets. He comes in the dirtiest closets and he begins cleaning house because this is what Jesus has done for his church. He has transformed them through the gospel. He has made them holy. He has made his church look like him. But what's so hard about understanding the gospel is the same what's true about what's so hard about marriage. It takes submission and self-sacrifice. It takes dying to what we think we deserve and what we want for the sake of another. It takes knowing our sins and confessing our sins to one another and hope to receive grace. And what's so hard about marriage 
and about family is that typically it's our children who get the phrase, I'm too busy, maybe later. It's our spouse that gets the, I'm too tired, or I don't feel good, or I don't have enough time. It's been a really hard day for me. So Paul wants us to turn our attention to our families and to remind us this, this, like every, every, every other inch of your life, needs the gospel of Jesus. This is where you need to rely upon the grace of Jesus. Like I said last week, we read this passage, and it might take your breath away, for better or for worse. We all have an opinion about this passage. Some churches, in fact, won't actually read this passage in their churches. But rather than focus on them, let us focus on our own hearts Let us focus on our own sanctification. Let us all see how and why we need Jesus. Let's allow this passage to speak to us, rooting out our sin and selfishness and make us look like our Savior so that we can enjoy our Savior, so that we can bring glory to his name. What brings us together is the gospel. And what I want to see this morning is that God presents three pictures of the gospel. He presents a gospel-shaped wife, a gospel-shaped husband, and a gospel-shaped church. What does a gospel-shaped wife look like? A wife who submits to her husband as to the Lord. And all the air leaves the room. As a pastor, I want, I want you to know that it would be a bold-faced lie if I told you I didn't feel pressure on preaching this passage. Everybody knows it. Everybody has an opinion about it. And I'm not just teaching about it once. I'm preaching on it twice. But the scriptures reveal what Paul wants us to hear. Everybody has value and dignity. Because everybody is created in the image of God. All people are worthy of respect and dignity. This is why Paul can say, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Paul wants the church to hear. Paul wants to to solidify our belief that all of us have intrinsic value. Paul believes women are co-heirs of all of God's covenant promises. And yet we also must be sensitive because far too long have women and wives been subjugated to terrible applications of this text. Unfortunately, far too long, churches have protected aggressors and abusers and not victims because they misunderstood what submission actually looks like. Well, here's, let's know for certain what submission isn't. Submission isn't agreeing with everything your husband has to say. Submission isn't leaving your brain and your will at the wedding altar. Submission isn't avoiding every effort to change your husband. In fact, in 1 Peter 3, what does he tell a wife? But to transform her non-believing husband 
to see the gospel with how she loves him. Submission isn't putting the will of your husband for the will of Christ. For nowhere in the Bible does anyone ever imply that we should follow someone into sin or that we should trust someone else over the word of God. Submission isn't a wife getting her spiritual strength from her husband. No, a wife gets that the same place her husband gets that, through the Spirit himself, through grace. Submission isn't a wife acting out of fear in the sense of fright. Yet, although negative expressions do impact how we understand this, misuse doesn't infer disuse. We cannot adopt or reject the act of submission based on bad experiences. We must believe it because this is the word of God, breathed out by him and is profitable for teaching and reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. This passage is hard to understand, but that just means we have to work a little bit harder to understand it. What does submit mean? Well, in the Greek lexicons, Submission means to be subject to, to subordinate, to obey. It means submission is to, in a sense, voluntary yielding in love. Although the word can mean within this lexical range to obey, we need to be very clear that it is not the same word that Paul uses talking to children that they must obey their, um, their, obey their parents. It's a different word that Paul uses. Paul calls wives to submit only to their husbands, not all husbands. Yet they are called to submit to their own husbands willingly, voluntarily, and lovingly as they submit themselves to Christ. This is a positive command. For all of God's commands leave, lead to human flourishing and for the good of his people. We should not recoil when we hear submission. The reason we do recoil is because our flesh is weak. And because typically when we think about marriage, all we think about is, what do I get out of it? What's in it for me? Wives, you are called to submit to, because you are called to live out the gospel of God's grace. You are being called to surrender your freedom for the sake of another. And guess what? That's exactly what Jesus has done for you. It is beyond dispute that Christ himself subjugated himself to the Father. For this is what he prayed. Father, if you, are if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. In this passage, Paul is setting Christ and his example for both wives and husbands. And wives, hear me say this. I know it's going to be hard. You weren't called to submit to your husbands because your husband is perfect. You aren't called to submit to your husband to make him perfect. You are called to submit to him 
because you need the gospel and for the glory of Christ. And when it's hard, wives, do you know what you're supposed to do? Run to Jesus. When you're so overwhelmed that you don't feel like you can do it anymore, what do you need? You need more Jesus. I know sometimes it's going to take everything in you not to kill him. But even in that moment, you are called to submit to him for the glory of Jesus. If you try to do this on your own strength, it will be too hard. It will be too burdensome. You do not have enough strength on your own. But hear the word of Christ. His grace is sufficient for you. And what you might notice is Paul doesn't give us a checklist of what submission looks like. No, Paul merely gives us a posture of what submission looks like. Gospel submission doesn't ask, what can I do for the, for the sake of myself? A gospel submissive marriage asks, what can I do for the betterment of my spouse? And then in verse 23, Paul gives us the reason why wives are to submit to her husband. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Paul has already established in Ephesians chapter 1 that Christ is the head over his church. All things have been given to him. And here, as in verse 22, he uses this analogy. And there's been just as much debate about headship as there has been about submission. And here's what we do know. Paul sets the structure, this headship language, based upon creation. He's going to say this again in verse 31, where he quotes from Genesis 2.24. But Paul reveals that a marriage was given to reveal Christ and his church. We're going to get more on, we're going to get there later. This means, though, that this structure transcends cultures because it was given before the fall. And let us also notice that this call to submission isn't just for the church in Ephesus, for this is what Paul writes to the church in Colossae, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. This is what Peter writes to the church in Pontus, in Galatia, in Cappadocia, in Asia, in Bithonia. Wives, be subject or submit to your husbands. This isn't just an offshoot. This calling is rooted in the gospel of what God's new covenant community looks like everywhere. And what strikes me, actually, about this reason that Paul gives is that it seems as though it's, it's in the section where he's speaking to the wives, but there is just as much here for husbands as there are the wives. Paul's instructing the wife, this is, how, or this is why you should submit, but he's also calling husbands to see Look at the great responsibility you have as a husband. For what does he say next? Because Jesus is its Savior. 
Wives, you are called to submit to your husbands because God has given him to be your head. He is to be like, like Christ to you. What did Christ do for you? Well, he did what saviors do. They do anything and everything for the sake of the person they're saving. Wives, you are called to submit to your husbands because he has called you to give up everything. And as I said last week, what wife wouldn't want to submit to a husband who loves them like Jesus? But also hear this. Your husband is not your savior. To put that burden on him, I'm sorry, but you'll be very disappointed. Submission is a calling. It's a gospel-shaped posture in everything. You might ask, well, in everything, that, that seems like a whole lot. It is a whole lot. But we must ask ourselves this question. To what do we submit to Christ to? I hope your answer is, in everything. So to wives, your postures to your husband is not just to do it when it's easy, not to do it when it's just convenient, but to do it because it reveals that the Spirit is living inside of you. And you are acting according to your new nature in Christ. Remember this, if you're a bargain shopper. Wives, when you submit to your husbands, you are getting two for the price of one. You are both doing what God has called you to do, and you are loving your husbands well. Wives, this shouldn't be burdensome. This should be life-giving. This should lead to both your flourishing and your husband's flourishing. For God is calling to you to do what is good and right and true. Husbands, before, before we move to you entirely, you are not charged to make sure that your wife submits to you. She is supposed to submit to you as her response to the gospel of Jesus. You are to make it easy, as easy as possible for her to submit to you. You are to make it a joy for her to fulfill her calling to her Savior. Wives, you know what submission is going to take? Admission of sin. Admission of weakness an admission that you need the grace of Jesus. Submit to your husband by living out the gospel, which is complete and utter dependency upon the work of Christ for your sake and the sake of your husband. This is what a gospel-shaped wife looks like. Now we're going to look at a gospel-shaped husband. Husbands, this is your calling. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. As I said just a few weeks ago, or I guess it was two Saturdays ago, at Peyton and Forrest's wedding, I said here Paul actually spends three times more space speaking to husbands. 
That could be for a couple reasons. One, it could be because men just needed that much more instruction. But I actually think it has more to do with Paul needed that much more space to remind the church of Christ's love for her. Last week at that wedding, I had a lot of men come up to me and say, you know, I wish, wish you had only read verse 22. Now they said that in a joking manner. But what they reveal is that they want to receive and not give. They want to be served, but not to serve. They want their wives to die for them rather than to do what God has called them to do, to die to themselves and to love their wives unconditionally as Christ loved his church. Husbands, what a huge calling, but what a huge honor to exemplify the work of Christ to your wife every single day. Jesus gave up his glory and power to be a servant. He died to all of his own interests and his own needs for the sake of his bride. For this is what Paul tells us in Philippians 2. Do nothing out of self-ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only at his own interest, but also to the interests of another. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We are called to do what Jesus first did for us. And this should feel overwhelming, and it should cause you to run to Jesus. Because remember, in the Old Testament, we are given many, many pictures of the bride of Christ. A wife like Hosea had to marry. An unfaithful, morally corrupt, an idolater, and a harlot. His love for her was more than romantic. It was more than just a sexual ethic. It was a covenant love. And he bound himself to her eternally and promised, I will do everything because I love you. He sanctified her. That is how he revealed his love for her. And he did it by going to the cross. While his bride was a harlot, a cheat, an enemy, hostile, a stranger, with spots, wrinkles, was unholy, and was blemished, he did everything for her. This was the central purpose of Christ's work, to make his bride beautiful by loving her and giving up everything for her. And this is what he did in verses 26 through 27. He sanctified her, having cleansed her by the washing of the word, 
by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. This is the summary of the gospel. What does Christ do for his church? Everything that she needs. What does a husband supposed to do for his wife? Whatever she needs. Not for who she is, but who Christ is creating her to be. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Husbands, what do you do when you have a limp? Hopefully you take care of yourself until you can walk without a limp. Husbands, what do you do when you're sick? Hopefully you care for yourself so that you become healthy. Husbands, what do you do when you want to go hunting? You go hunting. What do you do when you want to play golf? You go and play golf. What do you do when you want to buy something? Typically, you buy it. So too for your wife. We are supposed to treat our wives as our own bodies. If she is in need of something, we are called to meet that need. Some of my best advice, if she's hungry, feed her. But more than that, if she desires something, do everything you can to meet her desires. If she wants something out of your love for her, not to just get her off your backs, meet her needs out of your love. God has asked you to die to yourself. So you should ask yourself, how can I die to my desires? How can I die to my wants? How can I die to my own ambitions? Because I love my wife. This is what Jesus has done for his church. Husbands, if you say, I've already done this, I mourn for your wife. I pray that your response to all of this should be, man, this makes me want Jesus more. I can't do this without him. This is what a gospel-shaped husband looks like. A husband that will literally do anything for the sake of his bride. Because he loves her so abundantly, he will even give himself up for her. Now let's quickly look at what a gospel-shaped church looks like. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let his wife see that she respects her husbands. A gospel-shaped marriage ultimately isn't about the marriage itself. 
This is what Paul is saying. The church wasn't given to us as a model for what a marriage should look like. Actually, it's the other way around. Marriage was given to Adam and Eve and for all humanity, so all humanity might see Christ's love for his church. When God instituted marriage, he already had Christ and what he would do for his church in mind. It is supposed to picture the relationship between a redeemer and the redeemed. And this is what Tim Keller says. Because of this, marriage is glorious. But it's also really hard. The biblical doctrine of sin explains why marriage, more than anything else, is great for us and so important, yet at the exact same time, painful. You'd think that some parts of marriage comes easily or naturally, but it doesn't. Just like you might think being a Christian might come naturally and easy, but it's not. It's not easy to be angry and not to sin. It's not easy to always speak words of love. It's not easy to not be foolish and talk crudely. It's not easy to be envious. Why in the world would we think that marriage is just easy when you bring two sinners together? It's hard, but it's glorious because of the gospel of Jesus. In our sin, we stand in a posture of pride, not humility. But in our new created selves, may we ask each other, what can I do for the sake of another? I hope Ephesians 2, or Ephesians 5, 22 to 33 doesn't repulse you. I hope it convicts you and calls you to run to Jesus. Our bridegroom who sacrificed everything for his bride, who was worthy of nothing, yet in love for her, he gave up everything. If you are unmarried, lead a life that the Lord has assigned to you. You have been given a gift, Paul says in 1 Corinthians. You have been freed from the anxieties of worldly things. But encourage the marriages of this church. Pray for the marriages of this church. Because when you see good marriages in this church, you get to see a picture of what Christ has done for you. If you are not yet married because you're too young, this is the type of spouse you should start praying for right now. One who will always remind you. One who will always point you to. One who will love you like Jesus. We see that Jesus has done everything for us. He has given himself for us. We are completely and utterly dependent upon his grace. And guess what? This is what he has given us.
It is Christ that brings us together. May we live according to our new humanity through grace for his glory and our good. Let us pray together. Father, bless us. Father, call us to repentance where repentance is needed. Call us to continue to forgive others as we have been forgiven in Christ. Father, may our marriages look like the kingdom of God has come down to earth right now. And Father, we ask, sustain us by your grace, for your grace is sufficient. We ask this in Christ's name.